Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Kate Stevens. Kate, uh, thanks for coming back. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to see you again. And thank you so much for having me back. It's um, it's great to see and hear about all of your progress and success. So congratulations on all of that. Thank you very much, Kate. Really appreciate it. And so share me a little bit more about yourself, Kate. So I, I'm a mom of a nine-year-old. That's my most kind of important job. I also have a quite a busy W-2 job. Um, I work in the medical device space. I My kind of goal from an investing perspective is I have uh, switched from being an active single family investor um, to, to a passive syndication investor. And I made that switch, gosh, I want to say probably about five years ago four or five years ago. And I have, I in fact sold my last single family house um, in the United States about, gosh, last year. So it was interesting doing my taxes this year and going like, this is the last time I have to, I have to ever (laughs) include include this. So, so that kind of felt like a milestone for me. And as you can tell from my funny accent, I'm from the UK originally, but I've lived in the US for, for 13 years. So I I have found that for me, um, passive investing um, and syndications have allowed me to, you know, continue to invest. And it's a better fit for me than active investing. You know, I'm a a mom, I have a busy job, I'm the breadwinner in our family. So active investing on top, honestly, is is more than my organizational skills are going to cope with it. So syndications has been a really good fit. And I dipped my toe in the water about five years ago. And then, you know, I continued to to transition on the the passive side. And and I I really, really enjoyed it. So my goal is to continue with that side. I have a, a, a monthly cash flow goal that I'm kind of aiming for so that I can replace my income. Um, and I'm getting closer and closer to that to that goal. I can almost smell it and touch it now. So that's that's kind of exciting. And and so I'm kind of continuing along that along that pathway. Awesome. So so you're a successful passive investor. Yeah. Well, I I'm not sure. I I wouldn't call myself successful yet. It's worked for me so far. Is is what I'll is what I'll say. And I intend to to remain a passive investor. I have no real interest to be on the active side. Um, I admire those of you who do that. I think it's tremendous work that you do, and it's a great service to people like me. I'm just not quite organized enough or want any of that stress in my life, to be honest, to be an active investor. So the the passive side um, fits in with my work and lifestyle and, and, and those other goals. So that that's where my focus is. Got it. Got it. So uh, what steps are what? action items you took to be successful as a passive investor or investing in right deals? Yeah, so I I started by 
of course, listening to podcasts, reading some books, kind of understanding, like, I didn't even know it was a thing, to be quite honest, when I was an active single family investor, and I was really wanting to transition away from my focus of asset growth to cash flow. Um, I was looking for ways to do that. And so I sort of stumbled across syndications through things like bigger pockets, etc. I had no idea what they were. And as I started to do more research into them, um, it looked like kind of an interesting opportunity. So I followed um, a number of different, you know, syndicators, kind of Ashcroft Capital, Joe Fellas with his podcast, um, and, you know, looked and listened to a, a whole bunch of those podcasts, talked to people like Jeremy Roll, um, and thought, you know, this really could be a good opportunity. So then I dipped my toe in the water with some multifamily syndications and they, you know, went really well. Um, it was much easier um, just giving a K-1 to my accountant at tax time than me going through receipts and filing, et cetera. So, um, so I then um, ex- kind of expanded from there. I actually started investing through my IRA because it just felt like lower risk to me. Um, so um, I invested through my self-directed IRA just to see, like, how would this go? What would this look like? And then I started to invest, of course, outside of my IRA so that I had some some immediate cash flow. So that was sort of where I started. And I was really happy with that. So I continued to kind of learn about different operators, different syndicators and continued to to expand um, from there. And so today I'm in 18 different deals that are currently ongoing. I've closed out of eight of them that have gone full cycle. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I still consider myself very new in this space. I'm kind of five years in and, um, I have some deals across multifamily. And after I had done multifamily for a little while, I then started doing some self storage, industrial assets, mobile home parks. And um, I really love the fact that I can kind of be in my home and I can invest across the country. I can invest um, in different asset classes, in different locations to give me to give me that diversity and with different sponsors. So that's kind of been my journey um, so far. And, um, you know, one that I'm I've been really, really happy with. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. What do you think is the most important thing to know in order to be successful in passive investor? So the things that are most important to me, that might not be what's important to everybody else. You know, the, the disaster scenario for me is that you lose your capital. And my, so I am a pretty conservative investor. So I tend to follow syndicators for about a year before I invest with them. So I look at the deals, I get comfortable with who they are. Um, and I think the sponsor is the most important factor in, in in any deal. I think any, you know, people can get unlucky, deals can go south, and the fundamental values of a sponsor will determine how they weather those storms. Are they ethical in their decision making? Are they going to work really hard and fight to save, to save a deal, save an investment? You know, you do enough of these, you're going to have one that goes bad. Um, and, and how hard are they going to work to do that? So I really, um, I, I look quite a bit into the values of the sponsor. Um, so for me, what that looks like is um, I'll follow them for a little while. I'll look at a number of different deals that they put out. Um, I'll talk to different investors who've invested with them, but I'll talk to them and ask them a lot of questions around their values. So what happens when what's gone wrong and what do they do when something's gone wrong? 
I ask them how many people they have on staff and who's the least paid person on their staff. And what do they do to to make sure that those people are taken care of? How do they allow those people to participate in, in their success as a company? I think how you treat the person who answers the phone at your in your building or cleans the toilets in your building tells me if they care for those people and they allow them to participate in their success, that tell, tells me what their values kind of truly are and how they allow them to to grow kind of, you know, personally. So um, I think values, their core values are really, really central. And you can find so much information now online. You can follow people on Facebook. People will tell you what their values are. If that doesn't match what you see on social media, you know that's not really what their values are. Um, so I eliminated some sponsors through that. Um, and and so so that that is what what I look for. Of course, then then every deal has different kind of fundamentals. So that's the that kind of the, that's the second component. But if people don't have um, a core set of values that are aligned with mine. I won't invest them, and it doesn't matter how good or bad the deal is. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not investing at that point. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So, apart from operator, for what other factors you would consider uh, before investing in any any passive deal? So for me, I'm a cash flow investor. So I, um, whilst I have a W-2 job, I don't particularly intend to leave my W-2 job anytime soon, but I want that option to be on the table, um, you know, should circumstances change for any reason. Um, so I look for consistent cash flow. So assuming it's a sponsor that I'm comfortable with, um, I want to see what does that cash flow look like? I also want to see, is it artificially inflated? So there's quite a lot of deals that I see where you may get 7 or 8% cash and cash returns out of the gate. and But when you then look at the, the pro forma, there's money in there to pay investors from the initial capital raise. I don't really like that. That makes me really uncomfortable. I understand that a lot of people do that so that investors feel comfortable, but they're basically giving me back my money. That's not doing anything smart, particularly from a business perspective. So I do look for that. I'm okay if and you know I've got comfortable that the first couple of quarters in a deal will be low or no cash flow. But once this a deal has been running, you know, for nine months to a year, I want to be seeing kind of consistent cash flow. And I don't want that to be, to be bolstered by the money that I've given them. I don't need my, I, I need my money back in, you know, because there's assets being operated well, not not just to kind of make, make me feel good about, you know, that, that cash flow return piece. So that's something that I that I look for. I am in a couple of investments that are um, that are ground up. Not many. Um, I don't particularly like them, but I'm in one self storage deal that's ground up. It's gone very well. They're you know about to kind of refinance that. So I've got a couple of those in the mix, and I'm 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 okay with them. But my my preference is to to towards existing assets. So those are a couple of things that I look for in terms of the cash flow. I also look at what's the overall. You know, what, what's the business plan in terms of the exit? Um, so, of course, I'm going to look at um, things like, you know, what debt do they have on it? I mean, I think, you know, most of the good sponsors that I'm comfortable with, they know how to do that. They know, you know, they understand, you know, floating rates, caps, et cetera, on the debt to make sure that the debt is reasonable. The debt service cover coverage ratio, you want that to be reasonable. It's just, is there enough space in the deal that if something kind of goes wrong, that 
they have enough reserves to deal with it. So I always ask them, what's your break even like? If you, what does your occupancy, what's, what's your minimum occupancy in order for this deal to not start costing me money? Like you don't need to do a capital call. And typically for most sponsors, that's somewhere in like the 65% range. So if this asset is 95% occupied and they've got all of that wiggle room, then that, that makes me comfortable. If they've got appropriate debt on the deal, that, that makes me comfortable. And then I ask them what cash flow reserves they keep. So if they got no money from this building for whatever reason, if we had another COVID scenario and everybody just suddenly stopped paying, how long can you float this in terms of your, in terms of the money that you have in reserves? Um, and then what's your personal reserves in, in order that, that you would be prepared to, to kind of put into the building? So those are some questions that I that I ask and that tell me, um, you know, if you have a doomsday scenario, what's their ability to, to navigate that? Got it. Got it. Yeah, thank you. So you have invested in 18 deals and eight deals are like went full cycle. So what are your observations by investing in those 18 deals? Yeah, I've been in like 20... 26 now, I guess, the eight. So the eight that have gone full cycle. What I look for now is, you know, really the things I've talked about, the sponsor really matters. I feel like where we are in the cycle currently, asset prices are high. um, And I am going back to sponsors that I feel really comfortable with. I think that um, we're, we're, we're likely to go through some times where there'll be opportunities for people to pick up deals, but where anybody who's doing multifamily deals today, they're going to need that experience behind them. And so I'm going back to sponsors that I have got very comfortable with, um, you know, in terms of where we are today. Um, so that's um, kind of that's what I, I'm looking for, you know, today in, in a deal. Um, I'm not wedded to a to a cash flow number today. I've got I've got comfortable with having a bit of a run up to a eight percent cash flow. Um, I've learned to not look for that out the gate because um, um, I think that's that's unrealistic usually in the business plan and i've learned that that's just people giving back you back the money that you've just given them and um, if you usually if you're getting it out the gate so i've learned to look for that and be a little more patient and i've got comfortable with a bigger variety of asset classes so i've got more comfortable with industrial um i like self-storage i think self-storage gives you the opportunity to invest in states that maybe are less landlord friendly, for example, that you wouldn't invest in from a multifamily perspective, but make a lot of sense from a self-storage perspective. Um, so I've got got comfortable with that. Um, I've always been a fan of the mobile home park space. Um, that's an operating business. The operators have to be exceptionally good at operating. And um, in the multifamily space, Things that scare me are people who are very good at marketing and not good at operating. Because again, these are, you make your money operating these businesses really well. I don't need a flashy brochure. I need you to be in the detail of operating that business because as a passive investor, um, that's what I don't want to do. Um, I, I, I'm not great with that level of detail. Um, so I'm grateful for the work that sponsors do on that, but that I know that that's hard work and I know that that requires detail. So that's what um, that's what's important to me. These are operating businesses and they need to be operated really, really well. Yeah, got it. Very insightful. Yeah, thank you. And uh, what, what's your take on current uh, uh, real estate space from passive investors' point of view? How how you are seeing the deals and what kind of returns you're, you're, you're observing? 
Um, yeah, it's um, it's a little scary. Is what I would say. It's kind of how how I feel right now. Um, I think that there are, um, you know, when you have this environment with high asset prices, rising interest rates, um, I think that um, it's you know it, it, it it's it's challenging. And so I think that you have to be careful with who you invest with. I have got comfortable with sitting on a normal cash and not, um, you know, we're, we're always, as a passive investor, I'm always very, I want to make sure my cash is working for me. Um, and I've just learned to be a little more patient that it's sometimes it's okay to sit on a little cash while you're looking. You can't sit on it for too long, you know, unfortunately, I'm not, uh, you know, my means don't allow me to be, um, to be lazy. I do have to have the cash working for me. Um, but I I have got a little more patient at making sure that I'm looking for something that is different. So, for example, right now I'm looking at a tax abatement deal. And so there, there are some deals that have some specific scenarios in them, which still make, make them make sense. And, and and so I think those are interesting. I think I think there's still space to run from an industrial perspective. Um, even though self storage assets are expensive, I think there's still reasonable money to be made. So if I'm not making a twenty percent return, but I'm making a fifteen percent return, I you know I, I, that that's completely fine. Um, so those are those are the things I look for. I am in a few ATM deals. Um, I started that investment at the sort of back end of last year. Again, looking to sort of diversify out of real estate a little bit and get that cash flow and also get the get the offsets for the passive losses, which are fantastic. Um, so I'm only nine months or so into into those deals. I'm in three of those and we'll see how they go. But so far, so good. So I think that there's some opportunities for investment um, with those deals. Um, I have not done debt. I know a lot of investors do in this time to kind of go to debt. Um, for me, I really appreciate the passive losses and the tax benefits that real estate. And so I'm I'm struggling a bit with debt. And I looked around a little at debt and I just couldn't get that comfortable with a lot of the companies in that space. So um, that's not an area of expertise that I've had or a space I've been able to get comfortable in. But I know many in investors have had very good experiences there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So and what else you are looking in next 12 to 18 months? Um, so I'm 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 doing a couple of things. I'm going back to some sponsors that I'm very comfortable with. So where I have um, funds that I just feel like I need to deploy, I'm going back to people um, that I feel comfortable with. Some of that is in multifamily, some of that's in industrial. Um, so those are the next uh, places that I'm going to to, to deploy money. And um, there's a tax abatement deal that I'm going to do, um, and that has good cash flow. It has um, it has a lot of wiggle room, I think, in terms of its asset value, and it has kind of a unique sort of set of circumstances. So I think so that's kind of fits my model for me. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that deal. Um, and then I'm going to continue to look a little more at probably self storage. Um, and, and some of those options, and then just look for deals that still fundamentally make sense. Um, and most of them that I look at right now, they don't make sense for me. The cash flow is too low, and the asset price is very high, um, and those just kind of make me nervous. So um, I'm continuing to invest, but I'm being very I'm being very selective. Most of what I see doesn't meet my criteria in in terms of of, of cash flow and the IRRs are, are are pretty low on some of them. So so for me, it's worth it's worth sitting sitting on some of, some of that money rather than 
you know, putting it into some of those deals I see. But there are still some interesting deals out there. You just, you just look for them a little harder. Got it. Right. So and any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Uh, that's a really good question. Personal habits. So my, I, I get up usually around 5.30. I stretch in the morning. It's the only time of sanity where my phone doesn't ring for work or my family don't, don't need me. So I cherish that time to drink copious amounts of tea and read. So I stretch, I read, and I, I, I like that kind of time for in the morning. And, you know, aside from that, you, if you, I, I eat pretty healthy, I, I, I'm pretty particular about carving out time to spend with my kids. I read somewhere the other day that you, not, you, you, you spend 90% of your time with your children before they're 18. Um, so I'm, I love being a mom and I love being a mom to my kids. So I, it's, it's really, I, I really cherish, cherish that time. So I carve that time out and everything else is kind of secondary. I'm very goal orientated. So I have my vision board and I'm very specific and intentional around my uh, my cash flow goals and I'm intentional about my time. So um I I look at I look at how I spend my time and is it helping me achieve my goals? And if it's not, I question kind of why I'm doing it. So that I don't know whether that's helpful, but those those are yeah, things that yeah, I Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely it's a powerful, you know, habits. Yeah. And share any personal movement or personal learning or any, any like you know decision that you took have ma- major impact on your life. Um, I took a year off work when my daughter was four before she started kindergarten, and um, it allowed me to really travel with her a little and have have kind of time out, and it really um, cemented in my mind the importance of switching my strategy from building asset value to cash flow. And, um, you know, I'm fairly healthy. I'm, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a breadwinner. My mother died at 62. So she was diagnosed with cancer at 54. Um, If I had cancer at 54, my kid would still, you know, be a teenager. And so my mother at the time, she didn't have to work so she could quit her job and she could focus on her health and kind of her healing. And we don't know what's around the corner. We hope that we're healthy. We hope that we do well. And so I love, I read a lot in terms of the fire movement and financial independence, et cetera. My goal is not necessarily to retire early, but to, to be able to take advantage of the moments that life offers. And if um, something, you know, devastating happens in life or, you know, you have a health issue or someone needs help or support, that you have the financial means to be able to step away. If my child ever had an accident or a sickness, I want to be able to step away from work and focus on those things. So um, one of the things that I think that we we all need to kind of embrace in terms of our own financial journey is not just looking at ourselves and this focus on, I want financial independence so I don't have to go to work. It's saying, well, I don't know what I might need financial independence for. I may need it to support other members of my family or you know, I may suddenly decide, you know, I've uh, you know, I've always worked in medical device, but tomorrow I want to do a PhD or be a chef or, uh, you know, go and climb a mountain or whatever. And it gives you the opportunity to be able to do things that are both kind of inward looking, but also um, to be able to support others should you need to. So I think that I often think if I had to quit my job tomorrow, what would I do? Where would I move my finances and are my finances ready for that? And I'm trying to set myself up with that in mind that I could I have enough cash flow that at any moment if life changes I'm still able to kind of live a fulfilling life accomplish my goals and kind of care for others 
So that that's sort of how I view how I view that. Awesome, awesome. So any any personal books that uh, you're reading recently that have impact on you? Yeah, so my kind of um, I haven't read it recently, but my favorite book of all time um, is called Half the Sky, and it's a book about different stories of kind of women around the world who've had some devastating things happen to them, but they have kind of come through these difficulties and become pillars in their community, achieved great success either for themselves or for others. And it's so inspiring because even when life gets difficult, it you realize, gosh, it's not really that difficult. And 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 there's sort of a way through. So that's that's really um, you know, my my sort of my my favorite book of all time. And I, I think there are there are many kind of life lessons. And of course, from a business perspective, there there are a lot of really great, you know, books that many of your podcast listeners will have will have got. Atomic Habits is is great, kind of, you know, habit stacking, those those things, you know, of, of course are helpful. Um, but I think really defining the books that really speak to me are those that allow us to 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 really think bigger and to make sure that we um that we have goals that um are are big audacious goals but that can be very kind of personal and unique to unique to your life so we don't we don't we don't take money with us um financial goals are okay um but really establishing me i i found that for me establishing very meaningful goals for myself for the moment in my life being being the best mother that i can be making sure i have the time to dedicate to these things have been much more motivating for me and impacted my kind of financial journey in a more uh, more meaningful way. Cool, cool. How can listeners can connect with you, Kate? Um, so uh, people can reach me anytime I'm on email. So it's Kate Stevens, K-A-T-E-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-007 at gmail.com. Um, my cell is 978-289-3376. Just drop me a text or give me a call. And um, I'm always happy to chat to anyone. So many people um, have been so generous with their time on my investing journey and anything I can do to help, I'm, you know, I would be delighted to. Awesome. And thank you very much, Kate. Uh, really enjoyed conversation as always. And thank you for sharing insightful information. Thank you so much for the time and good luck with all of your amazing work, Rama. And I will chat with you soon. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.